Anyways, good morning, friends. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're new or visiting, I'm Pastor Chris. If you're online and you don't know who I am, Pastor Chris. Um, and I got to say, uh, you know, hurricane aside, no matter what happens today, it's no secret that the past year and a half or so have been hard, right? Yeah, hard. Um, and I don't think it matters where you land on all of that stuff, right? Like, I don't think, I mean, our political climate isn't helping. All the partisanship that we're throwing at an actual pandemic isn't helping. But, and I don't think it actually matters where you land on any of that stuff because it's affected each and every one of us in some sort of a way. It has, it has touched us. I've been, I've been using this, you know, quite often. I think we, I just talked about this the other day when, you were, when, when we were hanging out. It's like our baseline right now because of the pandemic is like we're wading through that, it's like the crud in our life. Like it's right up to about our knees. That's the baseline. That's where we're all starting right now. But then if you talk to pretty much anyone, then there's the additional stuff that we all deal with, right? And our families and our, our health and other issues, family issues, financial issues, you, you name it. I mean, even in our small community, sickness and and death, you know, life is hard, and so we're 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 often find ourselves in this journey through life, waiting through the crud, the muck, whatever whatever it is that you want to call it, and it can sometimes feel like that's all life is is just trying to get through another day. But this is how we're going to tie this into our summer series that we just finished. That as we've been exploring, we also know that goodness and wholeness and holiness and and sacred spaces all exist, right? They all exist, even this side of eternity, right? We've got joy and, and, and laughter, and we know that the extraordinary power of the Spirit is present in the ordinary of our lives. But sometimes, and track with me here for a second, I think sometimes it may simply take a bit of encouragement. Yeah? A little encouragement for, for us to notice the Spirit. Right, like words of blessing and, and reassurance, that can go a long way in our attempt at pushing through sludge that can consume life. And so what we're going to do the next few months is we're going to start reading through and digging into what I'm going to call the epistle of encouragement. Right, Epistle is just a fancy church word for, for letter. Okay, This is Paul's letter to a church that he was really thankful for. This was a letter that Paul wrote, letting them know how grateful and how thankful he was. And it's a letter that the theme throughout the entirety of it is one that encourages this community in Philippi, this new church community, to keep on keeping on in the gospel, in, in the spirit of Christ. Let's pray. And then we're going to give kind of a, I'm going to give, not we, but I'll give kind of an intro to this, uh, to this book and uh, to this uh, series that we're going to launch into now here. Heavenly Father, Christ Jesus, and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit, as we attempt to take the liturgy from, from this hour that we spend with each other and with you this morning, out into the liturgy of our week, may you open up eyes, open up hearts, open up hands and feet, so that we, we might be encouraged through these words of St. Paul to the church. God, would you give us new and, 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 and brighter hearts with which to envelop ourselves into that more sacred heart of Christ. We pray all these things in your name. 
Amen. All right, and so if you've got a Bible with you, uh, we're going to be in the first 11 verses. Oh, yeah, it's right up there behind me. We're going to be in the first 11 verses of this letter to uh, the church in Philippi. And so we read right here in the beginning, if you're following along, in 1-1, in Philippians 1-1, starts off with two names. We've got two names here, Paulos Kai Timotheos, okay? Paul and Timothy, right? He says, we're doule, we're douloi, we're servants of Christu Jesu, of Christ Jesus. And he says, to all of the agios, all the holy and sacred set apart who are existing in Philippois, in Philippi. Together with the overseers, this word is like one who keeps an eye on, like kind of what, you know, a pastor would do. And also the servants, the deacons, the someone who is thoroughly raising up dust by moving in a hurry, doing all the stuff that, that a community needs to be done. He says, Kateris, grace, charity, and kindness to you. And Irene, this was that same word we used for peace back in the Easter season, right? He says, peace and oneness and quietness and rest from Theo, from God, the Patros, the Father of ours, and Curio Jesu Christo, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in these two verses, we simply just have a, 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 it's an introduction of sorts to this. It's a very formal letter, right? This is not like a text to saying, hey, what do you want to do today? This is, you know, Paul and Timothy were writing this to you in the name of Jesus Christ and grace and peace and mercy and from the Lord. I mean, this is a very formal letter that they are writing. It's from Paul. And apparently Timothy was here with him while he was writing. So he added Timothy in there as well. And they're writing a letter to their friends, to those who he's greeting in the community that Paul, in fact, helped start in the culturally important city, Roman city of Philippi in northern Greece, okay? In fact, if you look back earlier in the New Testament, this was one of the first cities that Paul traveled to in his journeys and brought the good news of the gospel. This good news that there was, in fact, a new king, a new king and a new kingdom based on his crucifixion, his cruciform love, thus a new and better way of living in this kingdom, right? Pastor Steve preached on the more excellent way. And so if we flash back to Acts 16, so if you do want to, you know, keep your spot in the Bible, you feel free to put your, keep your finger in, in Philippians and just go back to Acts chapter 16 for just a brief moment, Okay. Because Luke there records how this church was, was formed. And it's a really neat story. It's a really great story that I think can really launch us into then his letter then back to this church that he helped starting. So I'm just going to begin in verse 11 where he's talking about he's sailing. Uh, they went on to Neapolis. And there in verse 12, they traveled, Luke says, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. This was a major cultural hub for, for this area, this, this, this Roman-controlled area, okay? And Luke says that Paul and Silas and all of us, we stayed there for several days. He says, then on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate. We were looking to find a place of prayer where we thought people would be. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now, I don't know why he mentions the women who were gathered there, maybe the men were being lazy and sleeping in or something that day. But either way, there was, there was a group of women that were gathering to pray on the Sabbath. 
And it says, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. She was a dealer, like a textile dealer in purple cloth. And she was a worshiper of Yahweh. And so the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she heard this, her entire household got baptized, and she invited us to her home. This is really important. This is how these church plants started. It invited us into her home. This church plant starts in Lydia's household. Then once we were going to a place of prayer, so a few days later, they're going to a place of prayer again, and they were met by a female slave. This is where this story starts to get, I think, really interesting, okay? So Paul and uh, his traveling companions are going around. They're going to a place of prayer. Well, there's this slave who was being controlled by, you know, the certain people, this couple, and she was good at fortune-telling. She had a spirit of fortune-telling within her, and she was following Paul and really annoying him. It says, these men, they're servants of the Most High. They're telling you the way to be saved. It says she kept this up for many days. And this is the NIV version. But finally, Paul became so annoyed that he has turned around and said to her, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Just stop doing this. Okay? Well, when the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, what are they going to do? Their income now, this couple's income just got, you know, undercut. Okay? So they did what any, you know, normal typical human would do, and they seized them, and they brought them to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the courts, and they said, these men are Jews, they're throwing our city into an uproar, they're advocating customs that are unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. So then the crowds now get into this, and you can kind of picture even, even Christ the, you know, during Holy Week as the crowds are just getting our whipping up in a frenzy, and they join in the attack against Paul and Silas, the judges ordered them to be stripped, beaten with rods, after they'd been severely flogged, again, this is bringing up things with, with Jesus here, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, the furthest cell in the middle, and put their feet into stocks. You see, bringing the gospel in certain you know, cultures can be dangerous. Yeah, Brian and I were talking about this with some of the stuff that he's looking into doing. Gospel business can be a dangerous business depending on you know, where it is. I'm pretty safe here this morning, but, you know, depending on where you are. And this is where the story starts to even get even more interesting. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They're singing hymns to God. So they're still worshiping. They're still praising God in the midst of this jail. And it says the other prisoners were intently listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken all at once, the prison doors flew open. All the chains are coming loose. The jailer wakes up, and when the jailer sees that the prison doors are open and the chains are loose and the prisoners are running around like free, he picks up his sword and says, I got to kill myself because I'm better off dead. I'm going to get flogged and beaten. But Paul comes running in and says, don't, don't, don't. We're all here. We didn't even leave. Which is pretty incredible, actually, when you think about the fact that Paul and Silas, they didn't even leave. They stayed there. And you're going to see why, because this jailer ends up becoming a big part of this early church. So the jailer then calls for the lights to be turned on. He rushes in. He falls trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and says, hey, guys, what must I do to be saved? And they say simply, entrust in this way. Entrust in the Lord Jesus Christ, his way of living, and you'll be saved. So they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house at that hour of the night. So this is now like three in the morning, let's say. The jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately him and his household were all baptized. Then the jailer brought them into his house. Again, so now we've got Lydia's house as the beginning of this church, and we've got the jailer's house. 
and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God and what that could mean for his life, okay? Uh, then when it was daylight, the officials sent the officers to the jailer. They said, release them. They already paid their, 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 their due. Paul gets in kind of a little tiff with the officials and says, well, no, but you know, you did this unfairly. We're actually Roman citizens. We didn't, weren't even really tried before we got flogged. They get really nervous. And they say, you know what, guys, can you just get out of here? Can you just be released and leave Philippi? So they just, the authorities are now saying, okay, Paul, Silas, Luke, uh, Timothy, just get out of here. Just go. And so verse 40 ends with, and after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went back to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters, this new church, and they encouraged them, which is where this letter is going. And then they left. And so there you have it. This is a church planted now. This is the story of how this church, this alternative community was born, rooted in the gospel, rooted in the good news of Christ, and then now left in the good hands of both Lydia and her household and the jailer and his household, right? So we got these two households now together with the brothers and sisters and probably some of these women that were meeting at the, on the Sabbath for prayer. And this new community is being born, but Paul leaves them to now start to become the overseers and the deacons and the ministers, the ones who are raising dust in this city. And now fast forward to where we're exploring a number of years later, and Paul is once again in prison, right? This gospel business over there is, 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 is dangerous business. He's in prison. This time he's in Ephesus. It's a short, probably in Ephesus. No one knows for sure, but it's most likely he was in Ephesus, a short walk from his friends in Philippi. And he's writing this letter to them as a thank you and an encouragement to keep on keeping on. So now we're in uh, Philippi, uh, Philippians verse one, uh, no, chapter 1, verse 3, where he begins with, after he did the whole intro, you know, here's who I am and who you are. He goes, Eucharisto, right? Eucharist. I thank my God. I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Right? He's speaking to this church, right? He has fond memories of the time that he spent with Lydia and the jailer and the woman by the well or the women that were out in the, in the streets. And so he says, thank God. I thank God every single time that I think of you. And all the while, he goes, now we're in verse 4, at all times making entreaty, making supplication for all of you with joy and delight in my every request or supplication that I have. And what's the request that he's doing? What's he doing this in joy? In verse 5, he says, for your koinonia, for your fellowship in the good news from the first day as far as until the now. Now, this word koinonia, fellowship, we talked about this uh, uh, quite a bit at the, at the, during the Easter season. It's the word that the Greeks would use for sharing what's in common, right? Koinonia, sharing, sharing fellowship, what's in common. But N.T. Wright thinks that partnership better captures in English what Paul is writing here because there even was some financial, there was some financial things that were probably happening with Paul doing his missionary work, and the church in Philippi, was, it seemed like they were financially supporting him in his ministry efforts, much like we would do today by supporting a missionary. And, and so he says that, I, I, I thank you, I'm entreating you for this partnership you have, being persuaded of this very thing, that the one who has begun in you an inherently good work will complete it as far as until the day of Christ through Jesus. In this book, 
in this letter that, that, that Paul writes, he uses this phrase, until as far as the day of Christ through Jesus, right? The day of Jesus Christ. He's talking about that day when all things are made right, when heaven is 100% fully realized on, on earth. And he says, accordingly, we're now in verse 7, accordingly, it is the achaion, it's just, it's righteous for me to have this understanding about all of you on account of the fact that I have you in the heart. I have you in the heart, both in my bonds, the chains of me, and in the apologia, the defense and confirmation of the euangelion, the good news, the gospel, that you are all partners or joint partakers of grace and kindness with me. You see, he's thanking them that as he's been making these journeys, trying to plant other churches throughout the region, they're continuing to support him in prayer, financially, but also they're supporting him in doing, like continuing the work that he begun in that city of Philippi, in that work of grace that the Lord started in their hearts. Verse 8, so he goes, For Theos, for God is my witness, how I long after all of you, in the inward parts of Christu Yesu. Okay, I, he's talking about, I long for you in the same spirit of Christ, how he longs for you in the inward parts of compassion. Remember we talked once about how the, the bowels were the, the, the place where emotions and, and compassion and affection came from? That's that same concept that he's getting here. And he says, this I pray, that your love, right, that more excellent way that Pastor Steve talked about, that your love may abound may be over and above, may overflow still more and more in firsthand knowledge and all perception, in all discernment which cuts through the haziness of life. In order that you approve the things existing as excellent, right? He's talking about that more excellent way, that, that way of love. So that way, your love can overflow so you may approve that the things existing is excellent. This love is the more excellent way so that may, you may be judged by sunlight, literally judged by sunlight, you know, rightly judged because you're seen in the fullness of exactly who you are and not caused to stumble unto, again, that day of Christu Jesus or just Christu in this one. And then we finish up in 11, being made full or complete. Like this is what we're all longing for, right? To be satisfied, to be full, to be complete with the fruit of justice, of righteousness that is through Jesu Christu. To doxa, right? The doxology to the always good opinion of the glory, the honor, and the praise. Literally the accurate acknowledgement of Theo. You see, Paul's confidence here in the beginning of this letter is the same confidence that he has running throughout the entirety of the rest of this letter. And his confidence is this. It's that God finishes what God begins. Did you catch that? He's encouraging these people because he's encouraging them and saying, even though it might not seem like everything's going exactly my way right now, I'm in prison for the second time. Actually, more than, he probably was even put in prison, I think, more than that. But I'm in prison again, but yet God always finishes 
what God begins. And this particular work that Paul says here in, in, in verse 6, that he has begun, is a work of grace. Right? It's a work of grace that he will finish through the gospel of Jesus Christ in and through the hearts and lives of this community that Paul helped start years ago in Philippi. Now fast forward some 2,000 years later, and we're still reading this letter of encouragement as a church. And that same work of grace is still manifesting itself throughout churches all over the world that have been planted to bring this euangelion, bring this good news to partner, right, with Paul, with the Holy Spirit, in bringing this good news to the world. This good news of a new king. You see, in Philippi, when they first went there in Acts 16, Paul dared to say that Jesus was Lord, that Christ was Lord, meaning that Caesar was not. That's ultimately why he got flogged and beaten and put in prison so many times. And now churches all over the world, as a result of this type of bringing the gospel to these little cities and these big cities all over you know, in the Middle East, and now it's spreading all over the cosmos. And so over the next few months, we're going to explore Paul's encouragement to us, right? Not only to this new community in Philippi, but also his encouragement to us. His encouragement that God does indeed finish what he starts. And that God is restoring the cosmos piece by piece. As far as he says until the day of Christu Jesus, yeah? Right, that shalom, perfection, heaven on earth. And that begins as his spirit leads his people. Leads us to become partners and partakers of this gospel mission. Let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll dig into the book. We'll start going through it next week. Heavenly Father, Christ Jesus and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. As we continue in this, in this series, in this, in this letter that, 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 that Paul wrote to his friends in the church of Philippi, may it encourage us as well. May it give us the encouragement that with no matter what is going on, with all the crud that we wade through, the muck that we have to wade through, that that good work that you inherently brought within our hearts is in fact being done as we labor towards your glory, towards that day of Christu Jesu, in whose name we pray, our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.